survivors a perimeter creates. Hello, I'm Roger Heathers, and welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast, where my co-host Declan Kitchener... Hello. <laughs> ...and I each write one song in the space of seven days. We won't have heard each other's songs until we meet to record the podcast, at which point we discuss chords, lyrics, influences, and the challenges of writing our weekly songs. This is episode 42. Hello. Hello, Declan. How are you this week? I am fine, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, yeah. we just been uh, having a bit of a jam before we recorded. Um, and uh, It's amazing how much mileage you can get out of the little wing chords. It's good, isn't it? I, I mean, for those who are listening, I got it from uh, this guitarist called Paul Gilbert. Um, he kind of does this tour, and every now and oh, then... This, this guitarist, Paul Gilbert, you probably haven't heard of him, but... Uh... <laughs> well, I don't know, he's, he's not the most well-known. But he does this thing where he loops around the little wing chords... Um, by Jimi Hendrix with like a guest guitarist and they'll swap solos so Declan and I were swapping solos over the little wing chords which broadly worked fairly well up until we started changing time signature a lot <laughs> Declan decided to throw a 3-4 time signature into well, it I thought it's what Roger would do so we may as well do it now <laughs> <laughs> may as well get out of the way exactly yeah so uh, yeah, so we write a song in seven days on this podcast, and Declan has written a song in seven days ah fantastic well actually I wrote a song in about four days which is a bit of a change. <laughs> yeah, you can talk. You've already written next week's one. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a change, and I didn't write it on a Sunday. Give me one second. I'm just going to sip some delicious coffee, and then I shall get playing for you. So this is my song this week. It's called Did You See This When We Met? And it goes, hopefully, like this. What am I supposed to do with it? The strongest of Yes. 
separate journeys We'll get there in time All I want to know Did you see this when we met Just passing by You caught my eye You saw into The core of me And on this chase Separate journeys, we'll get there in time All I want to know Did you see this when we met? Wow <coughs> Hello That was that was phenomenal uh, First of all, I think that's one of your best songs on the podcast so far Thank you um, The melodies are great It's a really, really well-crafted song And it's got one of my favourite songwriting uh components which is uh the stop and say the refrain the only other one i can think of off the top of my head is uh, the lemon twigs why didn't you say that big chorus why didn't you say you know and i think that's such a cool thing to do see the thing i was worried it was uh gonna sound like in my head was that michael bubbly one do 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 i just haven't met you yet <laughs> <laughs> see the thing is none of the listeners were thinking that but now you've said it everybody's thinking it cool so, but yeah, great. Tell us how you wrote it. Okay, this one was a bit of a weird one this week. I had, uh, you know, surprisingly this week, I actually had a day off. Ooh. So um, I uh, just sat down and I watched the film Amelie. Good film. Fantastic film. Is which, it your first time seeing it? Yeah, which um, immediately inspired me to write the lyrics. This is one of the ones where I wrote the lyrics first, which is a bit of a weird one for me. What, like without a guitar in your hand? Without a guitar in my hand, just literally... Huh. I, put the film on fast forward and silent in the background after I'd watched it the first time mm -hmm. and just started writing the words. So like there's a couple of things in there that directly reference the plot and everything like um, dreams carry over waitress applies a note in her hand and look in her eye, which is obviously that bit later in the film where Emily gets another waitress to take something over to uh, mm. uh, the guy there and, uh, uh, losing our words at the moment we meet. Just the scene where the two people... Spoilers, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, the two main characters meet at the end and they don't actually say anything to each other, despite the fact they've been looking for each other for such a long time. Did I want to hide amongst the rest the fact that Emily never um, directly goes up to the person she's after and goes, hello. Mm. She's always, like, leaving these treasure trails and clues, which is then referenced later in the... This treasure developed into your routine because obviously the guy in the film collects photographs and he's the dialogue says that he's collected other things in the past and he makes a habit of uh, collections of stuff no one wants uh, and then the bridge is basically just all that reiterated just passing by you caught my eye which is how they first see each other like she sees him like leaning under a photo booth and everything uh, basically just watch the film <laughs> so I got a question is are the lyrics sort of your take on the film, or is it like a metaphor for something in your life as well? Um, or what? Not 
really just uh, I'm reading too deep into it then <laughs> a little bit yeah it's basically just um, from uh, mainly from Amelie's perspective but the reason I sort of wrote it like that is because after I watched that film I suddenly felt you know happy for once <laughs> it hasn't happened in 26 years but you know what I mean folks has taken 42 episodes of the podcast <laughs> yeah but he had a smile on his face at last um, no but you know what I mean? that film like fills you with such goodwill and like you want to go out and help people or leave treasure tra- uh, treasure trails and you know help them like have fun and everything or like you want to mm. meet someone or... the world feels magical again yeah like it it's a very uplifting film mm. uh, so that's basically the impetus, impetus behind writing it uh, I can't say it relates directly to anything in my life other than just wanting to be nice to people that's great it's a really good song. The lyrics are fantastic. What I mean, there's a, uh, again. I always um, muck up your lyrics, but the. Uh, would you like my sheet of lyrics? I would love your sheet of lyrics. I'll try and not make it bad podcasting by rustling the paper, but um, I've got so many thoughts going on at once. But the sun, the sun, <laughs> of, the sun and the rain, partners in crime. Um, fantastic line. There's just so many oh, fantastic lines, but that's just something I noticed in one of the shots. Like it was raining in the shots of Amelie. Yeah. Uh, but when you reverse the shot, it isn't raining as much. It almost looks sunny. Because obviously mm. the film's in such a golden filter, so I just thought, ooh, bad continuity, that'll make a lie. <laughs> right, that's, that's great. Um, and also just, it's a song that I feel like you, you've you really taken your strengths into consideration. It's Again, it's a really well-crafted song, but the chorus, you hit that note um, uh, on Hyde. That's the top of my range, that note in the do I want to hide that's an F but it really suits your voice to sing that note and the whole chorus and god just, it's really good it's a really really good song and when you go up the um do 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 what a just what a fantastic uh, segue into then silence and saying the, the uh, refrain of the song mm. back into the net just really really strong oh, thank I you. really like it but for the rhythm of the words I was actually thinking of um Mika more than anything else because I knew that oh. I knew when I wrote the words that I was this one was going to be a bit of a soppy one and a bit of a soft one yeah uh, so I just for some reason uh, Mika just popped into my head like oh, you could try and make it like one of the songs on his first two albums or something I can totally see that in a, in a, in a way because uh, it's sort of meant to be on the piano yeah yeah sure but, but uh, I didn't write it I didn't write most of it on piano okay um but it feels like if you got someone who could actually play it properly, it would suit that really well. Yeah, like a really... I know what you're saying. Like, um, for anyone who hasn't heard it, what's Mika's uh, first album called? Life in Cartoon Motion. Yeah. Great album, and it's very much like something off that. Um, even similar rhythmic feel to Grace Kelly or something like that. Yeah. Well, actually, the thing I was thinking of for the lyrics was more like, um, you know, the song of the second one, Dr. John? Oh, Dr. John... Mm. I look for joy in a strange place and oh, back okay. of a bar, which is why the lines are quite long and like have these weird stops in them. All right. Um, yeah. And yeah. I just wrote all those through, and then it was just onto writing the music. And I knew for some reason instinctively I wanted to play it in either E flat or F, and it ended up being ah. F for some reason. I don't know why, but it just started off. What do you ever make of it? 
because uh, I could sort of hear the tune in my head, so it's trying to find the chords that worked for it. Oh, that's cool. Um, so that first one was just like an F, putting on the D, so it's like an F6, uh, or possibly a D minor, depending on how you think about it. Mm. But then well, it's got the F in the bass, isn't it? Yeah. So that's kind of the. I always think of that as like the maker of the chord. Terrible music theory, but <laughs> yeah. that's how I think of it. It dominates. Um, but this song is a pain in the ass to play. It looks like it. Because you've got things like... Uh... Yeah, that's, that's... You've heard that go wrong so many times. That's... Because uh, that's... For anyone who can't hear what those chords are meant to be, uh, that's an A minor, a B flat... Ooh. A B flat. That's actually one of the easier ones to play. Sure. Uh, B flat suspended seconds. Sounds great. Um, this one was the challenge. Uh, it's a C on the third string, open G, D on the B string, and F on the E string. It's a bit of a pain in the bum to try and uh, so what? change over to that one. Yeah. Quickly. Okay. You got another one, haven't you? And then E flat major seven. I mean, there's so much to unpack with just that section because. Obviously, you're trying to match chords to your lyrics and melody, right? Yeah. So, why come up with those really unique, unusual chords when you could just come up with something simpler? Um, that's a question I ask myself every day. Because <laughs> uh, they're so... If, if anything, I mean, just another quick point. Uh, they're such nice chords and they, they pass by so quickly, you know? Mm. It's almost like they... Uh, I'm not sure. You know what I'm saying. It's just uh, well, the, good chords. Well, well done. The way that yeah. well done um, <laughs> might be a title. Look, sorry, go on. <laughs> uh, the way that sort of came about, I'm waffling a little bit, so tell me to shut up. No, no, it's good. good. But um, I'm going to be a little off mic for this. But uh, it came from trying to move from an, something related to F and move back up there because I knew that I had to go back up. So what that ended up being is, um, if you imagine. This is a keyboard, by the way. Uh, a, <laughs> yeah. If you, my guitar hasn't suddenly changed. Um, so like an A minor, and then I just moved the first and the fifth up a semitone, mm. which gets you that suspended second, and then I moved uh, the B flat and the C up to a C and a D, moved the C uh, to the bass. Major 7 seemed to be the best thing to finish it off with. Mm -hmm. So it just came from moving two notes at a time up the piano. Uh -huh. Interesting. And then obviously when you translate that over to guitar, it yeah. becomes... Tricky. It becomes, well, it becomes tricky and also that you get those interesting suspensions. We've talked about this before. Mm. Um, talking. <laughs> We've talked about this before. We spoke about it. Um... Interesting. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, and the other pain in the ass in that song is... Uh, that's a phrase I'm using a lot this episode. Uh, the other tricky one is in the chorus. Because for a while it was... Did I want to Which is nice enough. That's 541. Um, to chord numbers uh, for anyone listening. Uh, but I felt you could do something a little bit more interesting with that. So again, I went back to the piano and 
just experimenting moving the F down to an E flat, so that becomes. So like F to F7 to B flat. It's F to essentially A diminished, but with an E flat in the bass. Ah, interesting. That's sort of what it ends up being, but I try playing a diminished with uh, E flat in the bass. The only way I could sort of do it was to play um, F shape on the F, if that makes sense uh, for guitar things, and then keeping my third finger on the fretboard, move that up to E flat and then form the other notes around it to get... That's the only way I could halfway reliably do it, um, which was tricky. But then once I got that, it was fine. And I think it sounds a bit more interesting in the end, anyway. Do I want to hide? As opposed to, do I want to hide? Oh, much more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a different tone to it. You don't it, feel like you're just playing regular old chords. It feels a bit more interconnected with itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get you, yeah. God, I'm getting pretentious this week. And then uh, the only other bits, really, because um, the bridge is just a couple of chords with a D in it. Um, sun in the rain again, partners in crime. F, F7. On separate journeys. And then another favourite trick of mine, that was a B flat. Just moving the root note up to uh, a B, which I've used in several songs on the podcast before, most notably Vultures and Giants, where Jeff episodes that's from. Uh, we'll get there in time, but then that sets you to go to C, uh, which then helps you get into that run up back to the F. And then back to the. I'm sure everybody listening will agree that's sophisticated. It's really cool writing. It's a load of happy accidents, but I'm. If you if you say they're sophisticated, I will take that answer from you. Uh, I don't think there's anything more to say about the writing of that one. I well, I mean, suffice it to say, I really like it. Like I say, it's one of my favourites of yours. Oh, thank you. Looking forward to hearing it again, actually. It's uh, it's one of those ones that. Uh, practicing in practicing it and preparing for um this episode, I had the thought in my head: this is either gonna be one Roger really likes, or he's gonna absolutely hate it. It's gonna go one way or the other. I don't think I've ever hated one of your songs, though. Not in public, anyway. <laughs> but I did have a nice feeling about that one when I finished it, which is quite nice. Because sometimes when you write songs, you end up having that thing of. Oh, that could have been better, but I've run mm, out of time. Sure. Or oh, I'm just not feeling it. That one sort of just felt really natural. Yeah, yeah. And the way it sort of came together in an afternoon, it's like, yeah. It sounds fully hatched. As hard as it is to play it, it sounds like a song that is completed, you know? Mm. The only trouble is, because it's so soft and so soppy, I can't really use it in any of my projects. Uh, any of my projects. I don't have any projects. But they tend to be geared <laughs> more towards rock. Whereas, uh... It's nice, though. It's like a sweet 60s romantic song or something. Hmm. I almost imagine it being played by, like, 70s soft rock bands like Super, uh, Super Tramp or, like, 10cc or something. Like, uh, mm. they had nothing else to do. <laughs> they had nothing else to do. <laughs> this would just be on a B-side somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, really like it. Thank you very much. I look forward to editing the podcast and listening to it again. High-pitched. Yeah, very speed. We always shift our very speed up to, what is it, 120%? 
120 would be insane. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a decent impression of us, actually, when we are very speeded. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, the format uh, dictates that you have written a song. That's right. It does, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, I've written a song in seven days. I'm going to take a, a quick edit here, and I'm just going to get my notepad uh, together and my guitar in tune, and I'm uh, going to play my song. Tugga, tugga, tugga. So uh, this is my weekly song this week, and it's called A Patch on the Moon. And it goes, does, like, does a gap, it's a gap, like a prerequisite at the beginning there. Hi, guys, this is my song. A Patch on the Moon. <laughs> Um, and it goes like this. There will definitely be an edit here. If I didn't have to win you or talk you over now If I didn't have to make you a victim of my circumstance I'd treat you like a friend Guess the end I bought you a patch on the moon to make you bend If you tell me it's enough that I'm here with you tonight Well I'll be looking to the corner To see if there's another thing that I could sacrifice See those eyes I bought you a patch on the moon in case we go outside What can I do to see her truly? What can I do to see her? If I act a little normal, I'd be with you somehow If I get another class in before we meet I'll give you someone stronger than myself Big mistake I'll buy you a patch on the moon before we go outside an unusual structure that one this week yeah yeah because um correct me if i'm wrong um because obviously i am uh but sort of you sort of only you had two verses a chorus and then a verse so it's almost like um mm. old, old folk aaba sort of songwriting sections i suppose so actually yeah it's uh yeah it's because yeah it finishes with um another with verse sort of, bit and it ends on the a7 which we're using to finish yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it is. It's a bit of a weirder structure, but it's more normal chords than I'm usually using. Um, this week, I was kind of I sat down to write, and I was like, I kind of want to um, write something a bit more normal, like almost a challenge to use less chords. I was gonna say um, that um, 
I was noticing during the verses you were using basically one, four, five, six, but you were using them not just cycling those four chords over again. You were using like little runs and uh, interesting ways to move between them. Yes, exactly. As opposed to just uh, the standard four chord sequence. Exactly. So, I mean, I wanted to write a song that was kind of like, uh, I'll get to the lyrics in a bit, but sort of matching the lyrics, almost like a 60s, you know, boy meets girl type of tune, you know? Hmm. Um, and I thought what would be more appropriate for that than using something a little more simple, still some nice sort of uh, old fashioned changes and that sort of thing. But but mm. before um, songwriting really developed to the point or pop songwriting developed to the point where you could put weird chords in and have the audience expect to listen to it. Exactly. So a lot of the weird quote unquote weird chords, the non diatonic chords on this song are just um, subs, substitutions uh, for some of the normal chords. But even then, the only one that's really out of key, apart from A7, is um, C minor, mm. which, again, you can use the minor fourth, which is a classic songwriting technique that we're both very fond of. Exactly. And even that is, it falls into the category of a four, um, you know, a fourth chord, a uh, fourth degree of the scale, for yeah. anyone who doesn't know the degrees. Um, I not that I helped at all, but... <laughs> I got an acting degree, and then I did a music podcast. Buxton... Bucks New Uni. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to say Buxton for the rest of your days now, aren't you? I love saying Buxton. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, I wanted to write something a bit more simple. And I was almost, um, you know, hung up on using the A7 and the C minor um, shapes uh, because I thought even that was against the self-imposed challenge I sort of uh, went for this week. So, um... If I didn't have to win you or talk you over now, that's just one, four, five. But in the actual performance, you were running down the root note with your vocal line. Exactly. So it's like, if I didn't have to win you or talk you over now, and I thought that had kind of a quite a sixties-ish feel, you know. Mm. Um, and then uh, I don't know. It's, it's quite weird because the song came out much faster because I was just using these simpler chords so uh the second part of the verse you know if i if i didn't have to make you a victim of my circumstances it's just pretty much the same thing but starting on an e minor shape instead of a g shape if i didn't have to make you a victim of my circumstance i'd treat you like a and then back to the e minor friend and then even then i'm only using the e minor shape c shape and the d shape so yeah. you're still within those you know normal chords um, but I took a leaf out of your book from, well, just your writing in general, really, because I said last week that I'd like to do the thing you do more often, where you have faster chords that go with the melody. So I thought, you know... That's just because I can't write melodies. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Um, but, you know, guess the end. That has quite a dynamic sort of feel Almost to it. Almost like you know? a chord a syllable. Exactly, chord suppose, a syllable. That's as opposed it. to a note a syllable. Yeah, and um, it was that, and also at work, um, they have uh, on the stereo system sometimes, like, uh, Disney tunes. And I've noticed that quite a lot of Disney tunes have so sort of a chord per syllable thing at some points in the song. And I think it's such a cool thing to do, and I don't do it enough. New Disney or old Disney? Like, pre-Renaissance or post-Renaissance? Renaissance stuff being, like, the 90s stuff. Um... Post, post-Renaissance stuff. Ah, so like Let It Go and... Um... Oh, no, wait, not that, but like Lion King and Little Mermaid. Oh, that is the Renaissance stuff, yeah. Renaissance stuff. Alan Menken. I have no idea. Alan Menken, yeah, one no, of I've your top before. songwriters, yeah. I admit... Oh, I, I admit that in the past I've been a nasty. 
fuck's sake. Never mind. Lots of chords moving. Yeah, so uh, had the guess the end part, and uh, then you have the A7, which was originally, the A7 shape, which was originally going to be... So in scale, that would have been a C sharp diminished with a B in it. So like a C sharp major seven? No, a C sharp diminished major seven. C sharp, I would call that C sharp diminished suspended second. Anyway, whatever it is, I was going to use that, but <laughs> I threw it threw it out and I used the A7 instead because it just matched the melody best um, so I bought your patch on the moon to make you better if you didn't have to and I thought it's really cool to have those like stops that's in quite a lot of 60s bubblegum pop where you have a stop into the verse Yeah, it's quite a cool little technique um, but it's still used in modern songs a lot mm. I mean and also just the simple nature of this song as well chord wise was like the bridge is um, what can I do to see her truly? I mean, you got the G shape, B minor, A minor, and C minor, which is a little bit unusual because you got the C minor in there. But not unheard of. Not unheard of. And the melody is much simpler than I would normally go for. So I was just trying to kind of really tone it back and see what strength I could get out of a song without going... Nuts with the chord changes and modulations, you know? Well, I suppose when you're using simpler chords and everything, you're challenging yourself to be more restrained, you sort of then have to take into account the other aspects of songwriting, which, you know, melody, rhythm, and, uh, you know, you know, interesting stops and starts, and yeah. what you actually do with the chords as opposed to... Because it's, once you've got into the habit of using complicated chords, it becomes very easy to do that every single time and go, oh yes, my songwriting's improved, I've put a... Uh, yeah. I've put a major second suspended fourth in there or something. Mm. Well, I, I completely agree. There's so many elements to songwriting that... You it, sort of ignore the other ones if you just focus on the chords and the melody. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think, I mean, one thing I always try to do is, like, include a new chord shape every time I write a song or like try a new way of way of playing the chords but like you say when you just go for regular chords you focus on the other things and you know a band that I admire who I've spoken up before is the Lemon Twigs and they're both have, have you do you really <laughs> like the Lemon Twigs I don't think you've ever mentioned this Roger I actually I do oh, um, wow I, I would never have guessed but they're really fantastic sorry I'm sounding really sarky like <laughs> They're really fantastic musicians, like proficient, you know, classically trained, great musicians. But some of their best songs... Kind of, are, kind of people you'd want to be in a band with. Right, exactly. But some of their best songs are just really, you know, they're just pop songs. And I think that's great. If you have um, the ability to use loads and loads and loads of chords, but you don't, it's uh, it's a good thing. Um, so that's basically the chords and the, the musical elements of the song spoken about. Now, the lyrics are about... Um, I thought to accompany sort of simpler songwriting, what I do is, um, what? <laughs> I'm just wondering where this is going to go. Um, I thought to accompany uh, simpler songwriting, chord-wise, I do lyrics that are a bit more sort of understandable, not so abstract and all that sort of thing. Okay. So, um, basically, it's about... <laughs> it's basically a song about having nerves about meeting someone to go on a date, right? 
It's kind of interesting. We've both done boy meets girl songs this week. Yeah. And uh, so, which I am, right? I'm meeting somebody and... Um, so I have a, a tendency to overcompensate when I'm meeting somebody. So I was thinking, like, picturing the, uh, like a, almost like a movie setting where this guy goes to meet this girl and, like, he's bought flowers and he's in a suit. He's really just overdone it when he could have just been himself and turned up and it all would have been fine. Like so, hood, hoodie in a text message as opposed to, you know, the whole American date sort of situation. Exactly. So I was thinking, like, okay, right, I, sh- I should just relax. This guy I'm picturing in this movie situation thing should just relax. And then I kind of paired this. I started writing all this stuff, you know. If I could just relax, basically, um, things would be fine. If I could just be myself and not try to overcompensate and overthink everything, everything would be fine. So that's basically what the song's about. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but um, I once heard that you can buy an acre on the moon. I know you can buy uh, naming rights to asteroids and planets and things. I didn't know you could actually buy turf on the moon. My friend, how are you supposed to enforce that? I don't know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> isn't it? It's such a strange yeah. thing. Just ima- imagine if, like, they sent up more moon missions and everything, and like, uh, you just got a supremely powerful megaphone, just shouted at the moon, "Oi, you're on my spot! <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see who you are. Clear off." There are only seven people on the moon. It's not difficult to guess. <laughs> so uh, I just thought that was such a weird thing to be able to buy an acre on the moon. And I was thinking with this with this sort of like imagined thing, they go outside, these, these, these two people, and they're looking up at the sky. And this guy goes, you know, I've done everything for you today. I even bought you an acre on the moon. And I was thinking how ridiculous that is, you know. Yeah. Thanks, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, so that's like the ultimate thing of doing too much so that is the sort of um refrain of the song i mean at least you'd know they were serious if they had actually bought you part of the moon exactly it's it's, (laughs) at the very least you could say that it's a real it's a real commitment (laughs) so um, that's pretty much what it's about god imagine if that relationship broke up and then like they named this uh i don't know let's call them joe and alice and like this part of the moon was named Joe and Alice <laughs> and then they broke up and Joe was just sat there alone like getting phone calls about Joe and Alice <laughs> like his plot on the moon is like had you know, he, has, he hasn't kept up the repayments and everything oh god <laughs> the repayments <laughs> I don't even think it would be a very complicated transaction would it you just buy it well you could get parts of the moon on finance maybe <laughs> parts of the moon on finance that could be an episode title <laughs> So that's pretty much what it's about. Um, God, I hope the person never hears this. <laughs> really do. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what it's about. That's, that's kind of sweet. And um, I like uh, just the fact that you've sort of taken the time to sort of step back from the more extreme chord uh, relationships and all that sort of stuff just to focus on the meat and potatoes of songwriting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's you just a looking... funny phrase, the meat and potatoes of songwriting. Now, yeah, yeah, true. Right, did you want to move on to the next bit now? Sure, okay. Um, so uh, we got a bit of an unusual thing here, because I put out a new song last week, and then Declan said that he had some questions about it for me. Well, I said and I, I, could, I could ask you questions about it. But I want to make it clear that I didn't say to Declan, ask me some questions about this, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Do me a favour, mate. 
So uh, Declan's got these questions for me about this song Billy's Courage, which I, which I put out last week, and uh, I have no idea what he's going to ask me. So this is like getting into proper interview interviewee territory, and I'm highly uncomfortable with it. But <laughs> <laughs> I think no, the only really. time I've done an interview on this podcast before is when you did that one with Grip Grand. Huh? Uh, the only interview we've done before is one you've done. With oh right, that I did with yeah. Good Brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a picture of me on the back of your paper? Oh no, this is. Um, I just doodle. So. Oh. That's my attempt to draw someone with a ponytail. It didn't really work. That's just a generic robot that's going to destroy the earth. <laughs> that's a spaceship that I made out of the letter A. I don't know what that is, but I'd like to develop that more. Looks like a speeder. Possibly. And then that is an attempt at redesigning a Cyberman, and it didn't really work. So the interview's off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, the song Billy's Courage, which was originally a weekly uh, podcast song, which was from episode 24, the personification of your devils, fact fans. Um, so just as a little refresher for anyone who's joined us after that, uh, could you give us a little quick background into like uh, how you wrote it and what it's about very vaguely? Yeah, sure. Um, so I remember I watched this, uh, this video um, by a lady called Andrea Stolp. Sounds like I prepared for this, doesn't it? And uh, she did this uh, this great, great video, um, which we'll put in the description. We never put things in the description, but we will this yeah, week. I we... keep trusting you to do it, and you never do. <laughs> well, you never remember either. <laughs> you're, but... you're in charge of typing. <laughs> That's very true. But anyway, um, this great video by Andrew Stop called something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing here, but five songwriting tips that will improve your songwriting, basically. And uh, one of them was to uh, include um, sensory information like the smells and the sounds of things because it makes a more immersive set of lyrics another thing was um musically speaking as far as like playing the guitar or the piano if you normally write slow write fast if you normally play slow wait what if you normally play slow play fast if you normally play really soft and arpeggiated try really hammering away right yeah so you know for people who have heard my songs before um on the podcast you know that it's usually sort of a you fit into the soft 70s singer-songwriter kind of category of things. You can go heavier, and you have gone heavier, but generally you seem to be more at home in the singer-songwriter territory. Exactly, yeah. So with this one, I, I, at this point I didn't really play with a capo very much. So I used to play open chords quite a lot and that sort of thing when I was playing guitar. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put the capo up pretty high. So I, I got the guitar, and I put the capo up on the 8th fret, and... Um, I thought instead of playing something along the lines of yeah, that sort of tempo, that sort of speed, yeah. I had this this uh, this riff come to me that was like that was like like kind of like a real fast picked country type of thing, you know. I just love that riff so much because it confuses the hell out of everyone who tries to play along with it because they can never work out where the one and the uh, two and the three and four are and everything. But yeah, you uh, presented that on the podcast and it's got loads of stops and loads of cool sections on it. Um, hmm. So, uh, uh, it's been roughly about a year since you originally wrote that one and since you've recorded it live. And I've noticed that you've developed it a little uh, ways. Uh, since like you include like D minor sections in the first bit, mm -hmm. and you sped it up, and you've you know increased the length of sections, you shortened others, and things like that. So um, 
like how much of that is conscious or how much of that is just like we'll give this a go fuck it it worked you mean in the recorded version uh, like the final or? just the development of how the song has changed over a year um that's a really good point actually um well, I listened to the original demo the other day. I listened to the original demo last night. <laughs> and um, the end section is like, uh, it goes, Suicide and alcohol, depression and resentment. I'm lucky to have made it out so clean. I'm lucky to have made it out as me. That's how the original ends, just like that. Yeah. And then for the subsequent, you know, ways I played it live and the, the way that I set it up for the drummer I was working with to record it. I'd lucky to have made it out as me. Tempo change. Back into that section. And um, so that was the key thing. But just generally, I don't know, like, it wasn't really any conscious decision. It's just like, you know, like, when you have a song and then you develop it, you take it out to an open mic night and you play it. And you play it a little different and you go like, okay, well, that section might sound better long. This section is too long, so I'll shorten that and I'll repeat that. You know, just it's, organic choices. It sort of morphs depending on what works live. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And another huge thing that I will say is um, I've been working with this drummer um, who goes by the name Hitty Sticks. He's from Nigeria. And um, I sent him um, basically what I call like a, a guide track. So it's like the structure of the song with all the different tempo changes and me playing a scratch acoustic and vocal you know just a mono track and i sent that to him and i sent him also um some drum crashes in the chorus so the chorus goes um for those who haven't heard it it goes do 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 hold me gap do my word gap so it's like that so i sent him those crashes on the on those two uh crotchet beats yeah um that's all I sent him. I sent him crashes and maybe a couple of little ride hits here and there. And he sent me back what you'll hear, I think we're going to put at the end of the podcast, right? Probably will do, yeah. By the way, sorry about the sound of children. There's uh, children uh, outside. Uh, well, we're recording school, this on it? Halloween. So oh yeah, it is Halloween, isn't it? We'll probably get trick-or-treaters at some point. Ooh, it's raining too. That's appropriate. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I sent him this this really simple drum demo. I just wanted some crashes on a real drum kit, basically. And he sent me back this full thing. So that was huge in the development of the song because it meant that it could be a bigger rock song. You know, because he, like, yeah. really... I mean, you'll hear it. Like, he really went to town. His drum playing is incredible. And so he added, like, sections where he had a beat on certain bits and where there was no beat and it was just going to be acoustic. So he made it into, like, a fully orchestrated song, whereas before it was, like, an acoustic country song. Now, I'm quite glad you've mentioned the drummer because uh, for the recording of this one and indeed for the recording of um, uh, your next couple of projects, mm-hmm. um, you've used musicians off of a website called Fiverr to sort of provide like uh, the parts for your recorded version of the song, uh-huh. uh, which is different from how you've done it before. You've uh, either self-recorded and done everything like onto your heart's content uh-huh. uh, or you've used a live backing band like you did on um, maybe on board. Yeah. Uh, so two questions for that one. Sort of, what made you sort of go in the direction of using fiber, and uh, sort of how? Well, you've sort of answered it a little bit there, but how has that changed the development of the song? Good or, question. Like, the development of recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, first of all, it's increased the quality of the recording because I'm not the strongest drummer when I play drums of my own stuff. So I can hold a beat and stuff, and I have a certain style which can support a song, but I'm not really a drummer. So it's just increased the quality so high. And I use um, 
or I use. I, I work with um, Hitty Sticks and I work with a guy called Pedro and I work with a couple of other guys who um, who have string quartets in their in respective countries. So like that boosts uh, the sound of the songs in the first place. Also, it just makes it like the more people you have involved in a project, the more creative it can be because they have different ideas than you'll ever have. Mm. So, I mean, Billy's Courage is a great example of like you send something to a drummer and they send back something you that just blows your mind. You know, I heard the yeah. drum fills and stuff. I was just really excited to like go, oh, wow, that's so cool. And like he's got new sections, like I said. And um, so that was really cool. So that's changed it. And um, I found out about Fiverr um, through, I forget who told me actually, but somebody just said, why don't you try putting your services up? So like, you know, I'll play bass on your track, I'll play guitar, I'll sing on your track, whatever it is, for a certain amount of money. It's just like a kind of extra income. And so I was like, okay, cool. And then I started looking around, and I've always wanted to work with a rapper or a string quartet. That was like a, like a pipe dream. It was just like almost impossible unless I met somebody. Like when and... you're rich and famous and you've got the ability to do it, kind of thing. Exactly. And I just started messing around more on Fiverr. I put up my own gigs on Fiverr. I started looking around. I was like, oh, okay, it's like affordable too. So I was like looking around, and there's like, I'll record a string quartet for your song for x amount of money i'll record drums for your song for us i'll rap on your song you know i'll put theremin on you whatever it's just such, it's, it's just exciting that it's so creative and that you can hire anyone to do anything so you can sort of window shop on it a little bit i'd imagine just sort of like well, i've always fancied putting a rapper on that song you know what let's do it yeah and the cool thing with five i mean you know not to go off on five or too long but sponsored by five <laughs> yeah is um if you're working with a few different Fiverr musicians, then you've got your your track, which is just a little song you wrote or whatever, and then you hire an amazing soul drummer, like Hitty Sticks, right? Mm. And then he puts down something. But at the same time, you're working with a string quartet who are putting down something. And if you want to, you, put, you hire a brass quartet from Sweden, and then they're putting down something, and you hire a rapper, you know, from America. If you get them all together, they don't know they're working with each other, but on your laptop, they're coming together and creating this really weird thing. It's really, it's cool. It's a very international project in that way. Mm. Uh, but you've now got all these musicians like playing all these bits for your song uh, to put on the studio version of it. And uh, what are your favourite sort of, what are your favourite parts of the recording and sort of what cool studio tricks have you used on uh, to sort of get it to sound cool? Because it is a glorious mess. If that makes sense. Like, there's just so much going on in there. Yeah. And it all seems to hold together and everything. So what are your favourite studio ideas that you've used to create that? That's a really nice question. Thanks. Um, so, okay, with the guitars, I'm, I'm quite pleased with how the guitars turned out. So um, I obviously multi-track guitars because it's just me playing the guitars on the song. So I used a few different types of guitars. I double-tracked the guitar you've been hearing in this podcast, which is my Tanglewood acoustic, in the left and right ear, hard panned, and I record. I, I kind of uh, I changed the speed of the project by like one percent, so that the guitars are slightly out of phase. So you got a left and right hard panned guitars, which are playing the main, um, the main sort of, uh, you know, the higher pitch stuff. Yeah. And then um, in the middle, I used my. Um, my harp tone guitar, which is like a 70s jumbo-bodied guitar. Which is the guitar you can hear on the original episodes of the recordings of oh, um, yeah. the weekly song podcast up to a certain point. That's right. So I used that without a capo. I worked out different chord inversions that were lower and had that in the middle. So you got this big, fat, wide, warm guitar in the middle with these two out-of-phase guitars on 
the left and right ears. So you've already got this really cool stereo spectrum, and when they all kick in, they also kick in with a uh, an electric guitar with echo on it, uh, which is um, low pass, sorry, high pass filtered, which uh, which means that the high frequencies of the guitar are let through and the low frequencies aren't. Which so when the chorus kicks in, you get this explosion of left, right, out of phase, in phase, echo, you know, all these different sounds, which makes for a great kick in. The other thing that I did similarly similarly to that is I triple tracked the vocals. Um, so two of the tracks are with like a really crappy, cheap, dynamic microphone I have. Mm. Just plugged that in and just sang the same thing twice and then put them together. So they're, I'm not the best singer in the world, so they're slightly out of tune with each other. Dude, you're an amazing singer. Sorry, back to your answer. <laughs> well, thank you. But so they're sort of out of tune, out of phase, you know, just because obviously you can't sing the same thing exactly twice. Yeah. And then I it's got kind the... of like old school double tracking, like the Beatles used to do, like, uh, loads of seventies band used to do as well. Exactly. Yeah. And then I use the condenser mic, which I'm recording with, with the podcast right now, to record another lead vocal, and then I put that to the left, whereas the other, the left channel of the headphones or speakers, and then the two condenser mics are in the center out of phase. But then when the chorus comes in, the condenser comes to the middle, and the two um, dynamic mics go to the outside, so you get another stereo shift. So that's why the chorus sounds different to the verses. And then on the second verse, um, you suggested making one of the condenser mic channels lower in um, formant, which is not pitch exactly, but it's like the tone of it. It's kind of like very speed uh, changing. A good example is um, In the Lap of the Gods by Queen. Right. Or not revisited, the original Lap of the Gods, mm. where Freddie is singing in tune, but he sounds like he's massively distorted. It's like this, it's like you're going to have to show if the formant's it, it, it's off. Like it's like slow motion. It's like, yeah, exactly. Or you can do it higher or whatever. And I've got this uh, plug-in on my, on my Logic setup where I can do that quite easily, just change it. Um, so that was one of the things. Um, I'll leave it at that. But those two things were kind of new techniques that I tried, which I was really pleased with how they turned out. So it really fits back into the original uh, idea of the song, like playing with opposites, and that you've got the verse and the chorus like really opposing each other there. I didn't even think of that, but I suppose so, yeah. Hmm. That's quite cool. Now, um... This is fun. <laughs> this is fun, yeah. I'm quite enjoying it because I get to like do something for uh, halfway professional and just sit back here and let you do all the talking. Uh, now, uh, you've got a couple of upcoming projects. We can cut this bit if you like, but uh, you've got a couple of upcoming projects, one of which is essentially Winter Tape 7, which mm -hmm. is, for those of you who aren't aware, it's a series of recordings Roger releases every year uh, of bits and pieces that couldn't go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and you're working on a new album. Mm -hmm. Am I correct in saying? Yes, that's right. And uh, Billy's Courage has actually changed from being on one project to the other project. I won't say which is which. Um, but did shifting essentially between an album and uh, a collection of recordings or vice versa, did that affect the studio mix of the song in any way? Or like how you thought about it? Yeah. By the time I started recording for Billy's Courage... I'd made up my mind that certain songs were going to be on the album and certain songs were going to be on the winter tape. Yeah. Right? So the album has kind of like a through line musically. And the album is basically... It basically uses a lot of Fiverr musicians. So that's one of the key things that is different about it. Um, Billy's Courage is on the album, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Um, I wasn't sure whether I was allowed yeah. to say. And then... Um, so, yeah, it uses the Fiverr musicians. And also there's kind of like... I don't know, like, it's hard to say. It's almost like a through line lyrically as well. There's kind of a 
a similarity with the different songs that are on the album so far. Um, but did it change the recording process? Um, or like the mix or any the way you thought about presenting the song? Yeah, I suppose it's a little bit more um, conventional because I want the next album to be like more... I want it to... How do I put this without sounding really up my own ass? We're on a songwriting podcast. We failed that challenge anyway. <laughs> I suppose I want it to, and I hate saying this, but stand the test of time. Because with winter tape, it can just be like, oh, throwaway stuff. It can be an electronic, experimental, whatever. Whereas with an album that I hopefully will be pleased with in a few years' time, I want it to be like real drums, good recorded bass guitar, nice acoustic guitars. It's got to be a bit more conventional, you know? Because the thing with your winter tapes is that they sort of change genre all the time. Like, for example, in winter tape 6, you've got Baggage Claim, which is sort of slightly more conventional recording-wise, but, like, really out there in terms of where it goes at the end mm. in terms of scale of ambition. And then you've got Fight This Child, which is, like, ultra, ultra heavy, ultra distorted and sort of uneven but deliberately <laughs> so. And then you go into a series of... Um, remixes essentially because like mm. uh, winter tape helps provide an outlet for that for you which you don't get to do very much anywhere else mm. which contrasts to like you're saying with the album having a through theme and everything yeah exactly so uh, yeah that, that definitely influenced it um now the pack which is another song is the first song i put out from this album that was going to be on winter tape so at that point i didn't really know but then so often with like whether it's songwriting or making an album, whatever it is, it's more organic than planning. There's a certain point where you reach with, with like making a collection of songs, like a body of work, where you go, actually, this does seem to have a through line, so I'm going to make some decisions here where production choices are going to be a certain way, drums are going to be mixed a certain way. And also, if it's an album, you just put that much more care into it than if it's just like a, an experimental project, mm. if that makes sense. That makes sense, okay. yeah. And then, final question, this is just a bit of a loose one. Boop, boop. And I think I know the answer to this one. Okay. But if uh, you sort of decided to give Billy's courage to any act or band or, you know, singer at all in the world just to see what they would do with it. Yeah. Uh, who would you give it to? The Lemon Twigs. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your answer. Well, the Lemon Twigs or... Um, I'd like to hear John Grant do it in the style of, like, the Song Queen of Denmark off of the album of the same name. Also, like, a lot slower and a lot... Uh, sort of weightier, if you know what I mean. Mm. Not that your recording is like lacking in weight or anything, oh, but you. it's yeah, yeah. It's it's very upbeat. <laughs> it's very fun. It's very forward. Yeah, that would be cool. Or um, I don't know. It's I guess the Lemon Twigs, but it's not a very Lemon Twigs-ish song. I, it kind of is in certain like it changes a lot. So I guess that's um, Twigsy, but um, I'm not sure. It's hard to say. I guess, yeah, to answer the question, Lemon Twix, I guess, is the best answer I could come up with. Fantastic. You can hear um, Billy's Courage on rogerhevers.com or on his SoundCloud. Thank you for doing this. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, we've been very pro professional. There's been less goofing about in this bit. Right, now we need to wrap up and everything for the end. So that was it for this episode of the Weekly Song Podcast. Uh, cheers for listening, everybody. If you uh, liked what you've heard, then uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Leave us a comment on SoundCloud. Uh, if you want to send in a longer message or perhaps like a recording of something you've written in a week or, um, you know, you just generally want to send us emails, uh, contact us at weeklysongpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, I've already mentioned it in the past bit, but where can they find you, Roger? You can find me at rogerheathers.com. Um, 
as you mentioned, I can uh, Billy's Courage is out now, and you can find that on my YouTube, which is Roger Heather's Instagram, Twitter at Roger Heather's, and uh, all that good stuff. So yeah, you can also be found through the Bandcamp, but that links to your website as well. That's right. And where can they find you? Uh, that I have a SoundCloud profile, which is just... I always feel so uh, weird, like, doing this after you give your long list. It's like, I've got a sound pa- uh, SoundCloud profile. At least it's concise. Mine isn't. <laughs> yeah. But you can find that just by follow uh, looking at who the Weekly Song Podcast follows, and I'm on there. Cool. So that's it for this week. We'll see you next week with new songs and new discussion topics. Ta-ra! Ta-ra! Bacon cooking, got no sack and change Became allergic to the Kool-Aid You can stick that goddamn paper up your ass I never signed it anyway I'd love for you to see me at my age Thank you.